Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Richard Heller. He's the founder and lead coach at Separate with Sanity. He was an entrepreneur for 35 years before realizing that his calling was to work with individuals and assist them with first finding their true selves again and second, helping them to redesign their relationships and their role in them. Richard has a tremendous history with divorce. He's a child of a divorced home, husband in a divorced marriage, and remarried, in full disclosure, remarried to me. And I thought it would be really interesting to talk about what Rich has been learning uh, in his uh, Separate with Sanity work with divorced people, and particularly with divorced and divorcing dads. So welcome, Rich, to Dialogue on Divorce. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, one thing that you've been working on a lot is thinking about co-parenting and the divorce process. And I think that's really for people who are actually in the divorce process itself. Is that right? That's correct. Well, it could also be for people who are recently post-divorce. Because interestingly, a lot of the issues that lead people to get divorced and complete the divorce are still present even after the divorce. And often those issues are around communication. Yeah, that's. I actually think that's really true. I think that um, sometimes people come into the divorce process, and I think this is actually true a lot with my clients, that they think somehow or other they expect their spouses to be different than they were when they were married. And the things that really did lead to the divorce are really, really frustrating in the divorce process and often after that as well. So how does that sort of, how can people change the dynamic that they have between themselves in the post-divorce process in order to try to parent better. Is that possible? Well, first, actually, I think it's optimistic to say that people hope that their person they're divorcing is going to be different after the divorce process. I think what they really hope for is that person just won't be there anymore. The big surprise, particularly to parents, is that when it's all over, that person is there. And actually, they have changed. I mean, Everyone changes in the divorce process, and, and of course, they haven't changed into the person that they hoped they would be. Yeah, the things that still really frustrated and enraged them before still frustrate and enrage them. Right, a trigger is a trigger is a trigger. So how can the people make some changes for themselves to change that dynamic so they're less triggered? Yeah, so I have interviewed a number of dads in particular. My focus has been on dads of divorce because I'm developing an online course for dads of divorce that's focused on helping them have this, the focus of the course has been determined by the interviews actually. The dads of divorce say they want to have deeper, more intimate relationships with their children. They want to better manage their time, the time that they have and when those times change because life happens and schedules aren't perfect. And in order to do that, they want to have a better relationship with their co-parent. And most of the dads that I've talked to haven't done the course yet. And they think that possibly that'll never happen because the co-parent will never change. And I think that's sort of the crux of the matter is so often in the divorce process, we want to change the other person. And of course, we're not responsible for other people. We can't change them. We can't make them do what we want them to do. Maybe that's why we get divorced sometimes. 
all we have is what's between our own ears. And so, yes, it's about managing our reaction to those triggers. When our spouse appears or ex-wife or ex-husband appears to not want to give us the time that we want with our children, how do we manage our reaction so that that person gets a window into what our motivation is about and it stops being about whatever game is being played or warfare is playing out in the relationship? You know, I, we've had a lot of experts on the show talk about those kinds of things and changing the reaction or changing the presentation that I have in conversation with you. I don't actually mean between us personally, but, you know, just as for a general purpose that the one thing that we can change is how we present things or how we interpret things. And I think that, and I wonder what your experience is about this, that people, particularly divorcing and divorced people are so ready to interpret the other person in a way that is slighting or insulting to me. You know, everything that you say, I find a way to think is insulting me or disrespecting me. And do you find that that's true in the interviews that you've had? That the person is positioned. I think that everyone is positioned, not just divorced and divorcing people. I mean, everyone is positioned in the sense that nine-tenths of our consciousness is unconscious. Nine-tenths of who we are is unconscious, and that was all formed probably in the first six years of our life. And our reactions and our interpretations and the lenses through which we see things are often shaped by what we were taught as children or our interpretations of what was going on as we were children. So just from that point of view, yes. And then there's what happens when you take all that stuff that we learn as kids and weave it into our relationships, it gets even more joyful. So that sounds pretty hopeless, actually. Is there something we can do about that? No, I, there's nothing we can do. Um, well, the first thing is awareness. You know, I mean, what we're working on with the dads, for example, in the course is first identifying what are the triggers? What are the things that immediately bring on a feeling of not being safe. It's, I mean, it's that movement from feeling secure in who you are and what you're doing in your conversation to immediately going, uh-oh, you know, there's a red flag. What do I do here? So the first step is to identify what are the conversations that bring on that reaction. And then the next step would be that reaction may or may not be grounded. How do I measure whether it's grounded or not? And then C, let's assume that it's not completely grounded, that maybe I'm overreacting how can I then manage my feelings so that I'm not erupting emotionally on the other person at a level that's not appropriate to that situation? I think you said that they have a fear-based reaction. And I'm wondering what it is you think in your interviews with, with these divorcing dads, what it is it that they're afraid of? Well, the deepest fear that every dad expresses again and again and again is that they're going to be completely cut off and isolated from their children. And that that's the real concern. That's the consistent fear that every dad has. Now, as to what might be underneath that, I think it's probably, it's a different twist for each individual. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking today with Rich Heller, the founder and lead coach at Separate with Sanity. And we're talking about the effect of divorce on dads and on parents and on co-parenting relationships. And Rich, you're saying now that you think that dads in particular are really scared of losing touch and being ostracized or marginalized, I think is probably a better word, as parents. And what do you think that are some of the things that they can do to help have a better 
relationship with their children post-divorce, you know, maybe even than they had while they were married. Well, I think before you go to having a better relationship with your their children, there needs to be greater clarity on, you know, what you started to go there with me. Why is it that they're having that reaction? So, that you know, the first part is that in a majority of homes, the father is often out of the house working and the wife is holding down the household. She may be working also, but to some extent, she's managing the social relations. So on one level, many dads are not in the center of their child's social lives to begin with. So then they start to get divorced and they begin to feel further ostracized from that circle. And so that fear just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So the first step for any dad getting divorced who wants to have a deeper relationship is they got to get in the game with their child more. Like very often, and this actually comes from interviewing attorneys on this, very often what dads will do is they'll continue life as normal. They want to keep going to their job at the same hours. They want to still sit down and have dinner with their kids as if they were still married. They want to have them out on playdates as if they were still married. And they don't get it that the relationship is qualitatively shifted. And they don't get it that if they're really concerned about having that connection with their child, since they're now basically a single unit when they were with their child, they need to play both sides of the court. They need to fill in the role of the mom when they're with them more than they did when they were married. So the, you know, the first part is identifying that and figuring out, all right, how am I going to do this? How am I going to become a player in my child's social life? How am I going to spend time with my daughter and be a part of her life so that she wants to talk to me about things? And it might be stuff that some dads are uncomfortable with. It might be a trip to the nail salon. It might be spending more time taking her and her friends out, doing things that dads are not traditionally comfortable with. And of course, this isn't true for all dads. There are lots of dads who are stay-at-home dads. And interestingly, though, the stay-at-home dads have this concern a lot less. I think what you're saying is that you really, that one thing that might be really important for parents and dads, but moms too, to think about in the divorce process, how to sort of rethink and reformulate their role as a parent in light of the absence of the other person in their own same space and time. And even though that could feel, you know, sometimes I have clients who one person will be like, that was my role, and you're not going to take my role away from me. And the example that you've been giving, like the mom role, you know, a mom will say, well, if you're going to go to the nail salon, you're not doing that because that's what I do. And to develop a relationship where it doesn't feel like competition and it doesn't feel like, well, I can't do that because that's what she does. And it's just to feel so stuck. Right. And that's the other side. I mean, it's very difficult to build those relationships without some kind of buy-in on your I'm going to use the word co-parent because that's what they are and are becoming more and more as the divorce process proceeds without their buy-in. And eliciting buy-in when you're feeling essentially at war can be a challenge. I think that's really true. And I think that one of the challenges of divorce, particularly if you're going to really try to divorce in a way that is respectful and really sort of conscious and careful is to reformulate the relationship between the partners from spouses, you know, to parents and to how they're going to do that going forward in a way that really treats the children respectfully and individually and also respects the ongoing relationship between the parents. And have you talked to any dads who feel like they have really done a good job with that? 
most of the dads that I've interviewed to date, and let me be clear, the source of my dads for interviewing have been uh, Facebook ads and posts and LinkedIn posts. These are people who are actually feeling strongly enough to react to this. So it seems like they fall into a very defined group. It's fully possible that I'm missing the full scale of dads. So I just want to be really clear. I'm not speaking about all dads when I talk about this. I've gotten really varied stories on the transformation of the relationship and the marriage relationship in the divorce process. I've had stories ranging from, I've done my best to be a partner with my wife and now ex-wife. I, In fact, six years later, I invite her and her husband to have Thanksgiving with me and my wife and the children, and she still won't come to, I mean, that's like one extreme. And then on the other extreme, I've gotten... Oh, you know, a couple of years later, it's much better between us, though, you know, we don't spend a lot of time socially together. We are able to go to graduations together or celebrations together. So it's it really depends on each couple and the way that they're managing their feelings in the divorce process and after the divorce process, because it's ongoing. The individual development and the development of the relationship is ongoing. I know when I was getting divorced, that was the part that I was really fuzzy about. Like, I didn't get it that... My relationship with my co-parent is as long as we're alive and we have children. And not only that, but we're both changing and growing. Our needs change and grow. And the way that we manage that relationship changes and grows. And then the big one that no one ever thinks about is that the children are changing and growing. Not only are they changing and growing as individuals, they're going through different stages of life. So the age of the children makes a huge difference on the ability of the co-parents to participate together, whether they're infants or toddlers or elementary school or their tweens or their teens or they're grown up. All those different stages are going to impact the way the two people talk to each other and parent together. And each different stage requires a different set of skill sets and a different level of cooperation if possible. Well, I think one of the things that is really an advantage that divorce professionals can but rarely do give clients and people going through the divorce is, you know, kind of a crystal ball you know, to say, all right, this is what you're thinking about. Now, this is what's really important right this second. And it's really like overwhelming. And it's all you can really think about. But let's think two years, three years, five years. What about graduation? What's going to happen when the kids are in college? What's that really going to look like? And just like step back from all that and look at like the whole picture of the scope of what this parenting relationship is going to be like and how you want that to look. I think that's really powerful for people. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about the coaching for people who are getting divorced. You know, how does that help people and what does it look like? Well, first, the idea of coaching is relatively new for most people. So let's just talk for a moment about what coaching is and what coaching isn't. In the world, we've got therapy, we've got counseling, we've got mentoring, We've got coaching and there may be some other modalities that I'm leaving out, but they're all sort of related but different approaches to helping people. What makes coaching unique but not completely different is that coaching is focused on, I'm thinking about athletes right now. I mean, coaching really comes out of athletes. So in the Olympics, they tell you it's very difficult to become an Olympic athlete without good coaching. And of course, there are exceptions to that as well. But the idea of coaching is the person who's being coached has a place they want to arrive in their life. And the role of the coach is to help them work through whatever they need to, to get to that place. 
Now, there may be exceptions, like if a person wants to have a healthy relationship with their co-parent and it turns out that they're mentally ill in some way, the coach obviously isn't qualified to help them with the mental illness, so the coach may refer them to another specialist to deal with the mental illness and still be coaching them, or they may go get help. Let's say they're bipolar, so they go to a psychotherapist and they're going to get some medication, and then maybe they'll come back for coaching. So there are things that coaches are not qualified for. And there are things that may come up that may interrupt the coaching process. But overall, coaching is about helping people, supporting people in achieving their dreams in life. In this context, a very long-winded answer, I apologize. In this context, coaching is about helping the individual parent to deal with whatever it is that's keeping them from having the best relationship they possibly can given who the other parent is in co-parenting with them and the best possible relationship they can have with their children given their life circumstances. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm talking today with Richard Haller, the founder and lead coach at Separate with Sanity. We're here every other Wednesday on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com, or perhaps you're listening on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com or on divorcedialogues.com. And Richard, if people want to get in touch with you or have more questions about your online courses or coaching in particular, how can they do that? I have a website, separatewithsanity.com, all one word. Also, you can reach me via email, rich, R-I-C-H, at separatewithsanity.com. And feel free to call me directly at 917-309-9045. That's great. I think that we were talking about the advantages of divorce coaching and how it can help people get to a place that they want to go. I guess even if they don't really think that it's possible, right? And because I think sometimes people are like, yeah, that'd be great if I could have a great, good co-parenting relationship with my former wife or my former spouse, or I could have a better relationship with my children if we wouldn't have conflict, but that could never happen. I don't see how that's possible because blah, 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 fill in the blank. It's too conflictual. It's too competitive. She'll never let me do it. I live too far away, whatever the thing is. So is that true that coaching can help people even when it seems impossible? I don't think that anyone would come for coaching if they thought it was impossible. So there's an important distinction between seems impossible and believe this is impossible. Anything is possible. Really, the question is, how likely is it to happen given the circumstances that you're up against? The answer is yes. If you're in a tough situation, if you're getting a divorce and you have a difficult situation, coaching can only help. But it can only help as much as you allow it to. The individual who comes for coaching needs to see, A, what is possible, what is probable, and they need to be willing to shift and change themselves to reach what's possible and probable. So how would you describe a good candidate for coaching in this context? Anyone is a good candidate for coaching, unless they are, this is what would make coaching really difficult. If you're feeling really sorry for yourself and you think everything's hopeless and nothing ever changes, that's an attitude that's difficult to be coached out of. Because when I know when I'm feeling like that, when I'm all cocooned and, oh God, it's all over. And that may be very helpful for me under tough circumstances. It's a great defensive posture. It's not a posture for forward motion. And I think that a lot of people sort of think to themselves, you know, I could use some help, but I don't really believe in therapy or I don't want to go to a therapist. I don't want to lie down on the couch and talk about what happened in kindergarten or, you know, when my mommy spanked me or whatever. And coaching's really not like that, is it? 
No, actually, that's a very important distinction. I mean, therapists will argue that they now are more forward thinking, but the truth is that the therapy modality is, and well, they probably are more forward thinking. It's not that there's an untruth to that, but the therapy modality is focused on unraveling the past and helping people to really understand the roots of why they behave a certain way. Coaching might be more about, well, you have a certain behavior. How can we work through this without transforming, without you having a deep understanding of your past and still get what you want out of life? If you know that you're afraid of conflict and you have a co-parent who is highly confrontive, how can you learn to deal with highly confrontive people in such a way that you successfully achieve what you want in life? Whereas in the therapy, you might really want to understand what happened in my childhood that I'm so afraid of confrontation or so much avoiding it. And that's going to be a whole different exploration with a somewhat different purpose. Can people have a divorce coach or get the help of a divorce coach regardless of whether or not they're litigating, mediating, they're working in the collaborative divorce process? Does it matter? Does the divorce modality matter? I would say that the more confrontational the modality, the more you probably need to have a coach. You need someone on your side. And not that your attorney isn't on your side, but you're paying them $250, $500, $600, $700 an hour. It's very expensive to go to an attorney for that kind of support when you could go to someone who's been professionally trained to help you find what you want and help you work through those feelings. And in terms of the other modalities, they may be less confrontational, but you may still want someone on your side. And do you work with the attorneys when you have clients going through a divorce to sort of help them understand the client better, kind of be a go-between when it's necessary? That's up to the client. But so, something that you can do. Absolutely. If, it, if the client coaching, just like therapy, is completely confidential. So if the client wants me to work with the attorney or, and the other players in the divorce, then I will show up in that way. But it's up to the client. You know, you've been talking about, and of course, I know about a number of interviews that you've been doing with divorcing dads or divorced dads and divorced lawyers. And I wonder if there's anything that's surprising that's come out of those interviews or something that really you had to think about in a different way. What's surprising is the perspective of the people getting divorced versus the perspective of the attorneys. You know, what I found very consistently with the attorneys is... Pretty much all the attorneys have seen hundreds of divorces. And so there are certain patterns that they recognize happen again and again and again in divorce. Certain combinations of people who want to get divorced, you know, archetypes of people that want to get divorced. And also because the law is the law, there are only certain ways that those divorces can play out. I had one attorney who said to me, and this is on the extreme, I can pretty much tell how a divorce is going to play out within 15 minutes of meeting the client. And his frustration is that the client won't accept that the divorce is going to play out that way because the laws are what they are and the, the situation is what it is. That the clients want the attorneys, they want him in particular, to create an outcome that the law just won't permit. Now, on the other side, the what I get from the parents is... Oh, these lawyers, they charge so much money and then they give us these divorce agreements that are cookie cutter that I could buy online. You know, so there's this, there's kind of this disparity between the experience of the people getting divorced and the attorneys. And, you know, when you look at both sides, you can sort of see why 
why yeah. that's going on. So the people who are getting divorced think of themselves as special, unique individuals, that every family is a snowflake. And the divorce lawyers say, oh, you know, yeah, this is number five, you know, of you know seven right. choices. And, and they just fit right into that, uh, like, format. Well, what was Rich- that Richie Haven song? There's 12 people on the face of the earth. Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just like that. Anyway, on that note, thank you so much for being our, our guest on Divorce a Dialogue on Divorce. Richard Heller, founder and lead coach at Separate with Sanity. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been great to be here. 